Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. Last week, we learned about a man named Abram. And God came to Abram and he said, Abram, I'm going I'm to tell you something. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you many descendants. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you and through the kids that you're going to have. So Abram's like, oh man, this is great. So after 10 years of waiting, he still didn't have a kid. And he becomes kind of impatient and frustrated with God. And, and God says, hey, I'm going to bless you, Abram. And he goes, yeah, God, um, I don't have any kids. It's been like 10 years. I'm really old, 85. Yeah, it's really old. So why haven't you given me kids yet? And, Abram, and God says, look, Abram, I need you to, to, to trust me. I need you to wait on me and to trust my promises. So at that time, God made a covenant with Abram. And he said, trust me, Abram, I'm going to give you this. And let me make a promise and a covenant to you. And so over 15 years, God waited again. And then he gave him a son named Isaac. And he fulfilled his promise. After 25 years of waiting, God fulfilled his plan and his promise and his purpose in giving Abraham a son named Isaac. And so we see the, the birth of Isaac as a representation or an example of, of how when you wait on the Lord and you trust in his promises, God fulfills his promises and he keeps them. So this week we are in Genesis chapter 22. In chapter 21, Isaac was born. And in chapter 22, we have another story to read. But in between those chapters, it's estimated that about 30 years have gone by. You know how like you're watching a movie and it'll be like 12 years later. Like it's kind of one of those moments where you're reading chapter 21 and it finishes and then it goes approximately 30 years later. And then we're in chapter 22. So that's what's going on here. That would make um, Isaac probably in his 30s, possibly his late 20s. Um, we, we don't know. It's from outside resources that we, we estimate this. Uh, but probably in that time range. So Isaac is now a full-grown man. He doesn't have a family yet. He hasn't been married yet. We'll learn about that a little bit later. But he hasn't been married yet. And Abraham has had the joy over the past 30 so years of watching his son grow up. He waited 25 years to have a son. And here he is and he gets to watch as this little boy grows up into a toddler. And he gets to go through potty training and crying in the middle of the night. And all those wonderful joys that come across with being a parent. And he enjoys all that, and he grows up into a teenager and then to a young man. And now he's a fully grown man. And Abraham looks at him, and every time he sees him, he says, This is God providing for me. This is God fulfilling his promise that he made to me. And he rejoices in that. And in chapter 22, we read a very peculiar, everyone say peculiar. Peculiar. A very peculiar, odd Kind of, kind of challenging story. So I want you to read with me in chapter 22 of Genesis. It says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. So, somebody raise their hand and tell me, what's kind of weird about the verses that we just read there? What's, what's going on here? Anyone? Yes? Over here? 
Ajá. Yeah, exactly. God said, God said, look, here's the deal, Abraham. I'm going to give you a son. He's going to be named Isaac. And through him, he's going to have many, many children and many descendants. And they're going to fill the whole earth. And it's going to be an incredible thing. Now I want you to go and take that son, your only son, and I want you to kill him. You see a problem there. See, like a paradox here. Just picture Abraham. And God speaking to him says, Abraham, yes, God, again, thank you so much for the son. He's great. I love him. I want to keep him. Okay, cool. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want to take your son. Yes, your only son. Uh Uh-huh. The one you love. Oh, I love him a lot. Take your son. To a mountain, okay, gonna go hiking, it's gonna be great. Take him and then kill him. What? What? Um, okay, I, I'm tracking with you. Take my son, okay, yes. Okay, only son, yeah, your only son, whom I love, yeah, you love him a lot. Okay, and you want me to go hiking with him? No, 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 I want you to hike with him to a mountain that I'm gonna tell you about, then I want you to sacrifice him to me to, to kill him. All right, you, what? Like, I don't think you understand how this works, God. He needs to have children, like you promised. And so if he's going to have children and he's dead, I don't know many people who have kids after they die. I'm not going to tell you to do your job, God, because you're God. But what? Like, that would be so confusing. And, and this is a challenging passage. I mean, we've been just like, what in the world? And we're going to kind of explain it a little bit more today. But Abraham is challenged by this. And he's got to have some turmoil in him. But, but Abraham does something when he hears this that is absolutely crazy. Absolutely kind of weird and bizarre and out of the norm. But he listens to God and obeys. Read here with me in, in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up. He saddled his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When they had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told them about. Pause me for a second. So a sacrifice, to give you a little background, a sacrifice is when they would take an animal and they would get a bunch of wood together and they make um, to get ready to have a fire and they bind up the animal and they would sacrifice it to God. They would kill it as an atonement to, to cover their sin. As a representation, sin has a consequence. There's a, a penalty, a punishment for sin, and that punishment is death. But God said, rather than you guys dying as human beings, I, I want you to sacrifice this animal in your place so that you would not die, and they will pay the punishment for your sin. Not entirely, but they will cover it for a time. They will represent a covering that will one day come. But, but here's the crazy thing. God had said, I want you to take your son, Isaac, and sacrifice him instead of a lamb. Don't take an animal. Don't take anything. I want you to bind him up, put, to put him on the wood, to, to kill him, and then to burn that as an offering to me. So now he's climbing this mountain with his two servants and, and Isaac on his way to sacrifice his son to God. The journey was about 60 miles. And just imagine that journey walking along. And maybe Isaac's like, you know, in a really good mood. Like, oh, man, Dad, it's just great weather outside. Just, isn't it beautiful? I love being alive. Oh, you, you do, son? Yeah, I love being alive. Why, why are you so sad, Dad? And why do you have that knife? I'm just kind of, oh, never mind. And he's kind of walking along. And 
now you boys are going to be like afraid to go on a hike with your dad. <laughs> your dad be like, hey, want to go to Bear's Den? I don't know if I want to go with you, Dad. Do you have any knives on you? What? Uh, no, no, I'm just asking. I heard a story in Sunday school anyway. Uh, and so they're walking along, and let's, let's pick back up in the story. It says here in verse 4, On the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place and the distance. God was telling them a very specific place to go to do the sacrifice. And he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Pause for a second. What's, what's weird about what he's saying there? That's kind of bizarre here. Let's get a guy's opinion. In the back row, yes, sir? Yeah, he said we. And it wasn't like a we. It wasn't like that kind of a we. It was like a like we, okay, like a part of speech. He said, all right, we're going to go up there, just the two of us. We're going to have our sacrifice, worship the Lord, and then we are going to come back. Why is, why is that weird, though? Anyone? Why is, it, why is that weird? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. He's going to sacrifice his son, and then he says, we're going to come back. So, again, here's that kind of paradox. If he's going to kill Isaac, how are we going to come back? I don't know if he'll bring, like, a piece of his arm. Like, hey, we brought, we're, we're back. No, you're not back. We are not. No, no, you and the armor back, but not Isaac. What in the world? Why is it charred and burned? Don't worry about it. Like, so he says, we will come back. So there's an implication here. And the thought is that, that Abraham believed that it was possible that, that even if he had to go through with the sacrifice of his son, Isaac, God had promised, look, Isaac is going to have children, and if he's dead, he can't have children. So it's possible, Isaac believed, that God could even bring, I'm sorry, it's possible Abraham believed that Isaac could be brought back from the dead, even after being killed. This is a show of the faith in God's promises that Abraham has. He's trusting God, even when it doesn't make sense to him. Like we were saying, it doesn't make sense, like, God, you want me to kill my son, but then he's going to have kids? Like, how is it? Even though it doesn't make sense to him, Abraham has faith in God. He trusts in his plan. And he obeys. He listens. And he moves forward, even when it doesn't make sense. So he said, all right, we'll come back to you. So, so in verse um, sorry, 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the wood, the fire, I'm sorry, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Pause a second. So, Isaac's not stupid here, okay? Isaac's carrying the wood, and his dad has the fire, and his dad has the knife. And so, he's walking along, and he goes, Hey, Dad. Yes, son? So, uh, I know you're getting old. I love you. You're great, okay? I still love you. So I have the wood here that we're going to, you know, use to make the fire. And then you have the, the fire to, to, you know, light the wood. And you have that really sharp knife, which is going to make me nervous. And you're kind of like holding it. And it, makes, it makes me weird. Anyway, and you have the knife. We don't, um, you probably just forgot. <laughs> we don't have um, the animal to sacrifice. So what are we going to kill? What are, what's your, why are you looking at me, Dad? Why, what, what, what? What's doing? What, 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 what are we doing here, Dad? Okay, where's the animal we're gonna get? Because what we get? If it's just you and it's just 
me. Where's this going, Dad? You gotta ask him. Where, where are we? Who are we doing here? Maybe Isaac started to sweat. Like, what's going on here? And turn the page. It says this: Abraham answered, "God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son." And the two of them went on together. Abraham says, "Isaac, trust me and trust God. God's gonna provide. Trust me." And Isaac does. He trusts his father. He trusts God. And he keeps going. He doesn't just turn around and be like, I don't know where he's going and just run away. Like, dad went crazy. He trusts his father and he trusts God. Even when he doesn't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, he trusts him. And he moves forward. And think about this. Isaac is walking up this hill carrying the very wood that he will be burned with and sacrificed on. How ironic is that? So he's, he's carrying that up to the mountain. And then they're going to that very specific place, and it says in verse 9, When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So Isaac gets there with his father Abraham, and they begin to arrange the wood, and they set up the altar. And then it says that Abraham bound his son Isaac. He tied him up. Now again... Abraham's an old dude at this time. Isaac's a young guy. Not Isaac, sorry. Yeah, Isaac is a young guy. He's, he's in shape, okay? It's not like he got tricked by his dad. Like, hey, son, could you hold this rope? Yeah, sure. Why are you walking around me multiple times? Why are you tying that fisherman's knot? That's a good knot. Why can I not move? He's not a stupid guy, okay? And I also don't think his father's like, all right, Isaac, here we go. Wacha! Like, knocks him out, and then he ties him up. I don't think that's how it went down, okay? I don't think, like... Isaac started running, and Abraham's like, come back here, you! It's not like he had a scooter, like, like, captured his son. Not how it went down, okay? What happens is, Isaac willingly trusts his father. Crazy, I know! But he trusts his dad, he says, okay, dad. Okay, I see where you're going with this, I see what, what God has planned for, and I trust you, and I trust God. How bizarre is that? And he allows his father to tie him up and to put him on the altar, on the wood. And, and he knows what's coming. But he says, Dad, I trust you. And I trust my God. Bizarre, for sure. And, and then the actual moment comes. They've, they've walked 60 miles. They've gone to the exact place where God told them to go. They brought the wood. They had the fire ready. They, they had the knife. And, and Abraham looked at his son. His only son whom he loved. And he took the knife and he raised it up and he looked down on the son whom he loved. And you have to think that that the life of his son flashed before his eyes. The first time that he held Isaac as his son and he was so proud and excited at what God had done. And and he watched this child grow up slowly. He watched this child make mistakes and he taught him right for wrong. and, And he was up with him when he cried. He watched him slowly grow to where he walked and maybe say his first words. And and maybe he witnessed him, you know, slowly becoming the young man that he would be and then becoming the man that he would be, immature. And he looked down at this son whom he loved. And he raised that knife and said, I trust God. This doesn't make sense. I don't know why I'm doing this, but, but God told me to do it and I trust him to do this. And he begins to bring down the knife 
on his son in that moment. And in that split second, as he's bringing it down, a voice cries out from heaven in verse 11. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on that boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you were, were not with, you, uh, you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it. And as a burnt offering instead of his son. Everybody say instead of. Instead of his son. So there's this moment where the knife is raised. Isaac is bound up. He's on the wood. They're, they're ready for this execution, this sacrifice of him. And he raises the knife, ready to bring it down. And just before he does, in the last second, it's like in the movie when they're defusing the bomb and it gets to one second and then they defuse the bomb. It's like in that split second, the knife is up, it's coming down. God shouts out, Abraham! And he goes, yes, Lord. Do not touch that boy. Don't lay a hand on him. Do not harm him. I have provided a way. Instead of, everybody say instead of. Instead of Isaac being sacrificed, take this lamb. Take this lamb and you sacrifice it instead of, in place of, as a a substitute for Isaac. May this lamb bear the punishment of your sin. Might this lamb be the sacrifice, the life that is given, the blood that is shed, instead of your son Isaac. And you had to think they worshipped, they rejoiced, they wept as, as Abraham cut the cords that had bound his son and they embraced. And now his son is saved. What an amazing testimony of God providing a way. Providing a way for this to happen. And I want to clarify just to be sure. God never, never requires... Uh, human sacrifice, actually in Leviticus chapter 22, he forbids it. His people, he says, no one, no one is allowed to sacrifice or, or kill their own children to, to, as an offering to me or to kill any other person. Some religions and cultures throughout history have done that. But he says, never will I require that or ask of that. Not once. And anyone who does should be punished. And this is not something where God will ever ask someone to do this again. This is never going to happen again. This is a one-time thing, and it was for, for two purposes. The first purpose was this. It was to test Abraham's faith. It was to test whether Abraham trusted God. We learned last week that we're supposed to wait on the Lord and trust in his promises. And Abraham had had 25 years of trusting God and waiting and sometimes failing and sometimes doing right. But but he had learned through that time. And this was a chance for God to test, Abraham, do you trust me? Do you believe me? Do you understand? And Abraham proved himself worthy and trusted God, even when it didn't make sense. And there will be times God asks us to do things and they do not make sense. We don't understand why he's asking us to do them. But we need to trust in God and do them anyway. Be faithful to obey him because he has a plan for why we're doing this. But the second reason, an even grander reason, 
for why we have this story in the Bible and why we read this is, is because this story is symbolic. This story is a foreshadowing of what is to come in the future. It's a, a foreshadowing. Maybe you're, you're watching a movie or, or reading a book and, and their author alludes to something in the beginning that's going to happen towards the end. He alludes to something that's coming. Maybe um, there's a story about like, like it's a chick flick and a guy and a girl get together and, and they allude to it because right when the girl and guy first meet for the first time, they say, and they look to each other and there's love at first sight. And it was kind of a preview of, all right, here, well, here's what's going to happen. The guy and the girl are going to fall in love. There's going to be conflict. They're going to get together anyway and be married and happily ever after. I know what's going to happen. And it's kind of like a foreshadowing of what is to come in the future. Maybe if you watch a movie, you watch a trailer or a preview at the beginning of the movie for other movies. Now, you're not actually watching the movie, but you're seeing a glimpse or a picture of what is to come. What is going to in the future, like May of 2015, Avengers 2 coming out. And theaters, and it's, it's a trailer of what is going to come, what is one day going to be shown. Well, well, this is a trailer, a preview, a foreshadow, if you will, of what is one day going to happen about 2,000 years after Abraham and Isaac were on this mountain. Let me explain. On this same mountain, in this same area, and years later, a city would be built, and that city would be called Jerusalem. And we know Jerusalem to be the capital city of Israel. And if you continue reading through the Bible, Jerusalem plays a very important role in the Bible. And it's around the same area where Jerusalem was. That Abraham and Isaac had this encounter with God where they, they had this substitution take place. This instead of where Isaac was going to be sacrificed, but instead of him, in steps this lamb that God provided. Well, 2,000 years later... In the city of Jerusalem, on that same spot where Abraham and Isaac were, on that same location is where the Romans would kill and execute prisoners. Where they would kill and execute people who had broken the law. And they would take them to this hill and they would nail them to a cross to show anyone, hey, anybody entering the town of Jerusalem, these people are bad. You mess with us, this is going to happen to you, okay? You're going to get nails driven into your hands and into your feet and you're going to have a slow and painful death. Don't mess with us. And this exact same spot where Abraham and Isaac were is the spot where these, where these people would be executed. And some 2,000 years later, God would give another substitute. And this is a much broader substitute than just saving the life of Isaac. As I said, sin has a consequence and it is death. And everyone who sins must die for their sins and be punished for their sins. But, but if everyone must die and be punished for their sins and everyone sinned, that means, what, everyone's going to have to die and be punished for their sins. So in a way, every one of us, every person we've read about in the Bible, every human being that has ever lived and ever will live, is condemned for their sin. And they will have to be sacrificed or punished for their sin. So in a way, we can picture ourselves as Isaac bound up, awaiting our death, awaiting execution for what we've done wrong, 
and our punishment of sin. And our blood is going to be spilt as payment for our sin, for what we've done wrong. But God provided the way. He provided another way. He provided a perfect substitute to step into our place. There are times when when someone might substitute for you and and take a hit for you, if you will. I remember um, a couple weeks back when, actually this is probably a couple years ago, when my brothers and I were watching football with my dad. And it was the first week of the NFL season. We're so excited because the Dallas Cowboys are about to play. And, you know, they're the greatest team in the world. So we're really excited to watch this game, right? we got our nachos set up. We're all, like, getting comfy on the couch. Like, we're, like, singing the song at the beginning. Like, bum, 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 It's like the Fox News. Like, oh, this is so great. It's going to happen. And we're getting so excited and pumped. We're having our jerseys on. And then my mom. I love her. She's amazing. She calls to us. Boys, have you given the dog a bath? No, we'll do it after the game. No, no, no. I told you several days ago to bathe it. Told you several times before. You haven't done it. Somebody needs to give the dog a bath. No game until this happens. And we're like, what? What? And sure enough, she, we didn't move, of course, because we're excited. And she steps in there, steps in front of the TV, and goes, no one is watching this game until that dog gets a bath. Okay? Now who's going to do it? We're kind of looking at each other, and Hudson and I are like, like you know, put the, playing the nose game where you put your... Anyone do that? Play the nose game? Play the nose game. Like, oh, him. And we're trying to, like, figure out, oh, man, we don't want to miss the game. And, and then we hear an angelic voice, a lovely voice of my sister Millicent from the other room. And she's in there probably watching, like, Girl Meets World or something. And she's in there, and she walks in the room, and she goes, all right, I'll wash the dog for the boys. You go ahead and watch your game. And I just looked at her. Just almost with a tear, just, thank you. I knew you were born for a purpose. And this is that moment. Thank you. Thank you. And that was like the moment, and, and she just kind of pulls a cat in the walks in. I volunteer as tribute, like walks in there. And it's like, okay, I know that somebody has to wash this dog. And I'm going to step in, and I'm going to wash the dog. And for 30 minutes, she scrubbed that poor creature she watches it like, and it gets all angry when you're like brushing its teeth or whatnot. And she bathed him off and had like the nasty, like, you know, it shakes its like fur and it gets all the hair and like the nastiness all over you, the, the water, and it smells really bad. She did that for 30 minutes so we could watch the game. And I'm like, I'm going to get her a birthday gift. I'm going to go to the Dollar Tree and maybe pick something real nice out for her. You know, I love her. She's great. But, but there was this moment where she stepped in and instead of my brothers and I having to watch it, dog and, you know, miss the game. She stepped in and she said, I volunteer. I will step in and instead of them, I will do it. I will take their place. It's kind of like a substitute teacher steps in and there's a teacher who can't be there for the day and the teacher steps in and says, I volunteer. I will be the substitute. I will take the place of for today, the teacher and continue teaching. Well, this story of Isaac and Abraham was a foreshadowing of Jesus, how Jesus would step in. He would look down on us and we're bound up in our sin and we're awaiting our execution and and the knife is raised and the moment is late and Jesus will step in and say, stop. Stop. Take me instead. Instead of humanity having to pay for their sin and be killed and punished for their sin and be separated from God forever and and have to endure hell for all of eternity. 
I step in. Take me instead. Sacrifice me in their place instead of them. And listen to the parallels between Isaac and Jesus. Jesus, just like Isaac, carried his means of his death up to that mountain. Jesus carried his cross up the same hill that Abraham and Isaac went up. The same one. And he carried his own cross up that hill. And when he got to the top of the hill, he obeyed God, his Father. He trusted his Father, who said, Look, I I need you to go to earth, and and I I want you to, to be sacrificed and take the punishment of humanity and die in their place. And And he obeyed his father and trusted him. Just like Isaac obeyed his father and trusted him. Jesus did not have to go to the cross. Jesus chose to go to the cross. It wasn't like these Roman guards grabbed Jesus and said, Hey, you're doing what we're saying. He's like, No, I can't help it. Jesus, in a moment, could have been like, "Um, Angels, kill these dudes. Boom, on the ground. Jesus could have sneezed and killed every one of them, okay? That's how strong he was. Man, if that dude gets... Oh man, never mind. I'm not even going that. But but Jesus was so powerful. He did not have to go to the cross and die. He allowed himself, as Isaac did, to be bound and to be taken to that place to be offered as a sacrifice instead of us, as a substitute for us. You see, when when God said, "Hey, I, I provided a way." So that Isaac doesn't have to die. That lamb did not take away the whole sins of the earth because that was just a lamb. That was symbolic of the lamb of God who would come named Jesus. And he would be a perfect sacrifice. And his blood would be perfect for he had never sinned. And he was the only person, the only sacrifice that was big enough, that was perfect enough to absorb the punishment for sin. Only his blood being shed could forgive humanity's sin. And his blood was shed. And he did die on that cross. So when God said, I'm going to spare Isaac, he was saying, but I'm going to offer my son in his place. He's saying, Abraham, I'm going to save your son, but in doing so, I'm going to offer my only son, whom I love. In his place as a substitute. For not just for Isaac, not just for your sin, but for the sin of all of humanity. That's why today we we don't offer sacrifices of animals anymore. We don't need to offer sacrifices of people. The, The price and the penalty for our sin was paid by Jesus. He died in our place. And we're forgiven. I was reading a story Um my dad has this book called Medal of Honor Recipients. And it's a, a book compiled of all these soldiers who have died in combat. And they've died in, in a way that was so heroic. Or some of them have actually survived. Um, but this book was just about those who had passed away. And it's just about how soldiers went above and beyond the call of duty. And, and one in particular was amazing to me. It was a story of World War II. There were three soldiers in a foxhole in a, in a trench. And there's a battle going on. And a grenade lands in their foxhole, in their trench, in their, um, where they're hidden. And one of the soldiers jumps onto the grenade and he presses it against the ground and it against his body. And he yells, get away! And the other two run away. And the grenade explodes and it kills the one soldier. 
And I read that story and I thought, man, I wonder what the other two soldiers were like after that. The ones who lived because of the sacrifice of that other one. I wonder what they were like. And I'll bet you when they woke up the next day, there was a gratitude in their heart. A thought of, I'm alive today because of what was done for me. And there's a thank you that is just lived out from that moment on. So where everything that they do, they're thinking, I am alive because of that moment, because of that sacrifice. And I need to live worthy of that. The thing is, they could never live a life that earns that. But they could live a life that honors that. Honors the sacrifice, the substitution of this man substituted or gave up his life instead of them that they might live. And here is Jesus who sacrifices his life. He jumps on the grenade, if you will. He stops Abraham and says, stop. I will take that place. I will die instead of humanity. And he takes our punishment. And my question is, how does that affect us? Do you wake every morning and think, man, I am alive. I have breath in me because of what Jesus did. Man, I have hope of a future in heaven forever because of what Jesus has done. He, instead of me dying and being punished for my sins, He allowed for me to live forever in heaven. To where death on this earth is only a way in which I leave this body to go to heaven and have life forever there. Do you see that the parallels here, guys? The amazing parallels between the opportunity that we have to to live a life that honors God and the substitute and sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Might we live a life that honors that, 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 that reflects our gratitude towards that? We don't have to earn it. We don't have to live a life to where, well, if I'm good enough, then what Jesus did will be worth it. No, we... We couldn't do that. We couldn't earn it. Just like those soldiers could not earn what their friend did for them. But they can honor it with the way that they live their lives. And say, today I'm going to honor Jesus and what he did for me by obeying God, by by listening to what he says, by loving other people. And through the way that I live my life, I will honor what Jesus did with my own life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We are amazed. Amazed, God, by what you have done. That, that Jesus, you took our place. We were, we were to die on that cross. We were to be sacrificed for our sin and pay the penalty of our sin. And you stepped in and said, wait, take me instead. And you, in obedience to God, Allowed yourself to be sacrificed. Allowed yourself to be bound up and beaten and killed in our place. And then after three days, you rose from the dead. You kicked open the tomb and demonstrated your power over sin and over death to say, it is finished. It is done. The price has been paid. And we can look at the nails in your hands and in your feet and know that we are now forgiven, that the punishment has been lifted from us. And instead of us having to die for our sin, you have done that for us as a substitute. And we say thank you. 
Might we live lives that honor you for that, God? Might we seek to know you and have a relationship with you, Lord? Thank you for who you are. Pray you be with these students as they go from here. Allow them to live lives that honor you and what you have done for us and sacrificing yourself for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.